All right, welcome on to another episode of We The Scenario. I'm your host, Sir Tony Siona, alongside my fearless cohort, the lovely Miss Maggie B. Now, normally I try to keep up with the mood of the community. With everything happening, it is difficult to find comfort. So one thing is for sure, school is back and it's time to focus. So more than ever, resources are needed heavily for distance learning. At We Low and Toupee, we make sure we have as many resources on hand for our children. So with that being said, today we have another special guest who has blessed us with her time an assistant director of marketing and public relations at Baton Rouge Community College, as well as a public relations consultant for Black Out Loud Conference, the founder of Creative and alumni of Xavier University. I present you all the very talented Miss Leslie Rose. Welcome to the show, my dear. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, man, we love it. We love it. So, Boricua is in the building. At this moment, I'm going to allow my lovely co-host, Miss Maggie B, take the floor. Go for it. Awesome. Thanks, Tony. Um, so welcome again, Leslie. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, can you talk just to start off, um, give a little intro about yourself and talk about what you do and then what inspired you to join us on today's show? Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm from New Jersey. I never let anybody forget that. My accent is gone. I've been in Louisiana for 19 years. Um, so I, I do have to tell people that I'm from New Jersey, really important to me. Um, <laughs> I have been in media since, well, really more than half my life. If you count, if you count uh, work in college, was I was paid for that, so you do count that work. And I wanted, I really wanted to be on here. I'm appreciate, uh, appreciative of you guys asking me to be on here, but I listened to some episodes and everybody sounded like they were really having a good time talking about their work and happy to share my work and experiences. Nice. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. Um, so what inspired you to pursue your degree in communication media studies? So when I was in, um, my God, must have been, I don't even know if I was in school yet. I was a really little girl up under my mom all the time. And part of her evening routine was to watch, watch the news. And so she would, she would, um, serve us dinner and she would sit in front of the TV and watch the evening news. And I would eat voraciously to run into the room with her to watch Peter Jennings. It was like, I had to see Peter Jennings. And when he said good night, it was my bedtime. So it was like, I would not go to sleep until Peter Jennings says good night. And so that was so much of my routine. Um, as we kind of changed stations, you would watch Dan Rather, who's like my, my uh, mentor in my head. And it just was such a part of my life. So I've always been incredibly interested in media um, as somebody who favors writing more than anything, journalism. I, I used to make little newsletters and, and fake magazines and things like that and sell them to everybody in the house. Um, but when it came time to go to college, I actually applied to be an English education major. And it was because people told me I couldn't make money. You need, you need a career where you can make money. Why don't you go be a teacher instead? You, you, you're never going to be a journalist. There's no jobs. And I'm being told this as a teenager, as a child, even, I think as early as 10, you're not going to, you can't do that work. You're, you're not going to make it. So I went ahead and applied for English education. I got accepted. When the acceptance letter came, you had to fill out your forms again, confirm your major. And no one was looking. I went in there. I said, MassCom. And I sent the papers back. So my family didn't even know I was a MassCom major when I got to campus. And I think my dad went to do my registration for me. He said, why does it say mass communication? I'm like, oh, 
did you pay for it? He said, I paid, but I'm confused. I said, well, why don't you pay for it? Um, yeah, I'm studying journalism. So it was, um, it was almost for me deciding to study it was this renegade move, uh, move. I'm not going to let you tell me what I'm not going to be. Even though I played along with it for a long time, it was something I just couldn't turn off. I knew I needed to study MassCom. Yeah, I feel like that's a message that I got also a lot as a younger person, like, okay, try to pick something that is practical or something that can get you a job, um, which is advice that, that kind of scared me as a younger person, because I was like, first of all, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I wasn't like you. I didn't have um, like that passion that it sounds like you had for um, communication media studies. So I was like, I don't, I don't know what to study. I don't know what to do. I don't have a career path. So that was... Um, yeah, definitely an intimidating message, but it's really cool to hear that you did know what you wanted to do. You were told it wasn't practical, but I mean, you, you pursued it anyway, and you have made a whole career out of it. I think right now is my, my big ha-ha moment, right? Um, we're in a pandemic, and the biggest thing is it, we're in several pandemics, to be honest. I mean, we have, we have so much video of people being killed by police officers. We have a health pandemic, we have a, a crisis with finance and wealth and, and gaps. We have all of this going on and whatever, what does everybody need? They need a message. They need a campaign. They need somebody to craft something. So this is my ha-ha, not a aha, a ha-ha. I'm so glad that I studied what I wanted to study because I don't want to be in the classroom right now as an English teacher. I really want to be crafting these messages. Yeah, definitely. Um, Speaking to all of the things that you just mentioned that are going on in the world, um, definitely this is a really stressful time, I would say, for everyone, um, maybe even especially for um, like our young people, our youth that we work with. Um, so what are you doing personally to take care of yourself during these times of uncertainty, um, all the violence that we're witnessing? Um, and yeah, how are you taking care of yourself during this time? So normally I wouldn't be, honestly. Um, I, I, I'm my, my last job before I was at the community college, I was as a uh, editor in chief of two sister newspapers in a smaller community outside of Baton Rouge. And, and when you do that kind of work, you're not allowed to turn anything off, right? You turn your feelings off, but you're not allowed to turn that TV off. You're not allowed to turn that news off. You have to be constantly embedded. You have to know what's going on. Um, I was there in 2016 when Alton Sterling was killed. Now, he wasn't killed in that community, but he was killed not far from my house. So I'm leaving Baton Rouge, going to work in this community, doesn't understand what I'm experiencing. And um, right after that, I believe it was maybe a week or so after he was killed, youth in our community put together a protest in a march. And it was beautiful. It was completely youth-led. They brought us to the Capitol. I mean, we were just marching with them. They were in the front of it. They were speakers. They handled it. They were like, you're not going to take our, our lives from us. We see this happening to us in the future. And we walked back from the march. They had a second line. I mean, it was just a beautiful experience. And I live downtown, so I live very close to the Capitol. So we, we literally walked home. And I just, I just had such a bad feeling. Of something, something's going to happen. I'm about to go and sit in this house, and I'm not leaving the house for the rest of the day because I feel eerie that this protest in March went off so, so calm and quiet. It just didn't feel right. So within maybe an hour or so, the police started ramboing down the street. They were in tanks. They were pulling protesters, throwing them on the ground. They had all kinds of sirens and stuff. And I'm sitting in my house and I can see everything out the window. 
And then later that day, as I did as a journalist, I watched the news. I watched the local news. I'm all over social media. And I didn't see what I saw on the news. And it was then for me, I said, you know what? <laughs> and I'm a media person and I'm going to take up for media. I'm so incredibly angry and upset right now that what I saw happen in front of my eyes is not what's being talked about. They're reading from the police report, which they have to do objectively read from the police report because that is considered the official record. But you didn't come talk to anybody. You weren't hands-on in the community. What I saw is not what you were showing. And so me not being in that particular uh, facet of communications anymore, the first thing I'm doing for self-care is I'm not paying attention to too much right now. I'm, I'm able to check out a little bit. I'm definitely aware of what's going on. Um, I definitely feel it. I'm definitely nervous and, and, and can get incredibly upset about these things, but I don't have to be inundated with it. So that's one. If it's too much, I've got to turn it off. Um, and then after that, you know, I, I'm very good about, you know, exercise and going for, going for a two mile walk after work. Um, I, I love my naps, <laughs> things like that. But, but I mean, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to take it all in. I think that's the biggest thing. I think to, to, to what you just said, I feel social media is very irresponsible uh, because it's no, it's no more about delivering the truth. It's more of being first. And that kind of takes away from, you know, what we as the people we need to know the truth because we go off of that. Like, you know, Dwayne had a, he had mentoring on the fly yesterday, a live IG. My nephew was on there and he was talking about why he didn't like a certain person in politics, you know, but he didn't have the full spectrum of what it was because a lot of us are going off what we see on social media. Now he's just a teenager. If that's affecting his mind like that, it's happening in the adult spectrum as well. It, it makes it pretty obvious that we're all being bamboozled, you know? So like you said, as part of self-care, I can't help but see it all the time because I want to know what's happening because I have children. Right. And instead of letting them deliver the message to my kids, I'll take this message and I'll deliver it to you the way I think you should hear it. Because it, from what I hear, it's all lies anyway. So, yeah, I just wanted to speak to that effect. So. Well, it's funny you say that about, about adults being affected as well. It's one thing that, um, my husband and I always talk about. My dad is um, going to be 80 next month. And he, he was in the military for 22 years. And one of his jobs, he was a chauffeur at the White House. And, and to get that job, it took, I think he said, almost a year of them doing security clearance on him, his family, his wife's family, and everything, trying to make sure that everybody was clean so that he could drive around, not even a president, so he could drive around visitors. Like, um, at that point, and this is years and years ago, so at that point, Governor Ronald Reagan and stuff like that. And he listens to Hannity and all these other things all the time. And this man knows better. He worked in the White House. He knows what he had to experience. And I promise you that man was on that birther stuff with Barack Obama as if he didn't know any better. And I'm like, How? you know, you know, it took you a year to drive a car. You know darn well that's not true. How did this happen? So, yeah, it, it definitely is. You definitely got to be careful no matter how old you are. Watch what you consume. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just have a question um, kind of about what both Tony and you are talking about. Um, since this is kind of a youth-based um, project, this podcast, what, um, as a 
mass media and communications professional, um, what would you suggest to young people who maybe are getting all of their news, like Tony mentioned, from social media, um, or they're being misled by various other media outlets, or maybe not told the whole story, like you mentioned with your experience. Um, so what would you suggest to young people who are wanting to follow the news and know what's going on, but they're not sure where to look for kind of accurate um, portrayal or accurate information about what's going on? That, that's, that's an amazing question. Um, one of the things that, that I do um, personally, and as somebody who is totally embedded in media, is I, I, have, I have everything but Fox News. I have everything on my phone, and it's a little game for me, too, to see who breaks news first. But I have everything on my phone. Everybody sends me push notifications. I have all my local media, and I have all of the mainstream media, and I also have BBC. Um, BBC is a really, really good resource because they have no reason to give any slant. They're not here. Um, a lot of times you're going to get some very, very, very interesting factual news. Um, lately, it's been kind of funny because they really seem to absolutely hate us at this point. But you get some very, very non-biased news because they don't have any stake in it. Um, so definitely looking at how international media is reporting on things going on in America because it's coming from, a, again, a, a lens of I, I'm not there. This is what I'm seeing, though. Um, and something that I hope never goes away, greed is taking a lot of our community newspapers away. They're getting bought out. But community news is so incredibly important. They're going to tell you the part of the story that everybody else is neglecting to tell. So you may get, the, you're going to get the same news and you're going to get the facts. You're going to get the unbiased information. You're going to get the information with the police report, but then they're also going to talk to somebody else who was there, who did see something. Um, and if you're going to go on social media for your news, which we all do, um, we definitely may be tipped off by something and then Google it later. Um, that's my suggestion. If you see something, Google it, find it. If you can't find it from a reputable source, it's probably not true. Yeah, you said you don't have Fox News, huh? Can I ask why? I, don't need that one. I got my dad parroting that for me. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I watch Fox News is like a comedy show. So, you know, yeah. I yeah. want to get my laugh on. I'm definitely turning them on because. I, you got to be careful, though. They brainwash you. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's funny to me because it's this country is so divided already. It's like we're built on division. So everything is division. And then we all fighting for this vote, but who's here and who's there? We all in the same country. We still all got to deal with whoever up in there. So it doesn't even matter who's in there. Like, we all still have to deal with this, no matter if you're on the left or the right. Uh, politics, well, I'm telling you, politics is like street code. Like, they run by a hustler's code. They run by, you know, a, a, mm -hmm. the gang code. It's like, they're the biggest gang in the world, and, and they get the most respect. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. It was something my husband and I were talking about earlier, and I said, wouldn't it be great if everybody who wasn't a billionaire left? Every single person who's not a billionaire or a bank, we all leave. Then they'd have to change the structure because it's built for billionaires and banks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny leave. you said that because Africa, they ready, <laughs> they ready for us. You know, right. they're like, come on home. I'm like, man, yeah. save me and save me. They'll have to rebuild the structure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lord have mercy. I'm sorry about that, Maggie. Go ahead. No, it's all good. Um, shifting gears a little bit, um, can you talk a little bit about Creactive, the, the consulting firm that you started and what that process was like um, to come up with that idea and to start the consulting firm? Sure. So, so my consulting work started in, in 2009. Um, 
couple years after, well, four years after I graduated, where I really just wanted to um, work with artists. I, I am a part-time spoken word poet. I didn't have a lot of money to promote myself. Most of my friends were artists. I knew they didn't have a lot of money. So it was kind of like an artist to artist thing. I'm not gonna bust your head open for this because I don't got the money either. So let me help you get your press materials together. So I started it that way and, and had a very successful career in that consulting. Creative was actually founded to support a project I was doing called the Picture of Health, which is, is a, a, a mostly a photography project that seeks to normalize invisible illness. And so when I was working on that, and trying to find a venue for the physical exhibit, because it actually turned into an art exhibit, everybody I met with kept saying, you need a nonprofit. And I'm like, no, 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 Leslie doesn't have time for a nonprofit. And I said, well, you need to do something with it. You need, you need an LLC or something. I said, well, maybe, we'll see. And um, then somebody wanted to write me a check. And so I was like, well, let me go ahead and get this LLC so I can get this bank account so I can take this check because I need this money for this exhibit. And so that's really how that started. Um, because the primary focus was to bring in donations for that project, I didn't have any other means of getting money. So I took the work I was doing from 2009 to, which I ended in 2019, and rolled that into Creative. So then Creative becomes a PR consulting business slash to, we do activism work. So it's essentially just me um, using my PR work to pay for my activism work. Got it. That's really cool. Um, can you, uh, just taking a quick step back, can you talk about um, what invisible illness means, what that term means? Sure. So an invisible illness is anything that you can't outwardly see on someone. Um, you got, you know, and I know this is audio only for the podcast, but you guys can see me right now and I have three. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you didn't see an illness on me. So, so it, it is a matter of, I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me. That's not what we want. We want you to recognize our limitations. We want you to recognize that you don't know what people around you are experiencing, what they're going through. And so the exhibit that it started with is literally just pictures of people. Some of them hold up signs with their illness on it, but it's just pictures of people. They're just regular portraits. And we put it together and you only knew that these people were ill because it was an exhibit for invisible illnesses. Um, but we're talking things like asthma, uh, even lupus, lupus will have some physical effects, but primarily not. Uh, multiple sclerosis, these things are, are debilitating for people, but most of the time you see them, they might be just fine. Um, so so it's it, it's a very interesting thing. It was really a passion project for me when I was going through my diagnosis because I was so irritated with people saying, but you look great. And I'm like, well, I did not say I was ugly. I said, I don't feel good. And so it was like, how do I get people to stop saying this and understand that I'm saying, I literally feel like my body is crumbling. Please don't think because I look good that I feel wonderful. Um, so I, I went on Facebook and I use Facebook. We were just bashing Facebook so much, but I went on Facebook and I just said, look, I'm going through this diagnosis process and I, I'm tired of people saying I look good. So don't tell me anything. If you, if you have an invisible illness of any kind, but you look good, I want you to drop a selfie in the comments. And we got up to over 100 selfies. And I'm like, oh, man. And it was some people saying I have blah, blah, blah. But it, the whole point was, please don't tell me anything. Just put your selfie in there. And so at that point, I could barely walk. I was, I was really, really doing bad because I didn't even know what I had yet. And I said, okay, well, we're going to do something with this. So, so really just 
pushing my consulting business into it if it is me not paying myself at all it's me paying all of my 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 consulting money forward into normalizing illness wow uh, you said that you've been out of new jersey for 19 years now huh yes a long yeah, I can't time tell. i can't tell i, can't I, hear, tell. I hear that i hear yeah. that accent all in it i know i lived in new york for like six months and uh <laughs> i was back and forth to jersey you know, going through the link of time, coming back and forth. I was like, you guys are different out there, but I can hear it. I can it, hear it's, it. It's, um, my, my, mom, my mom's from Harlem and my dad is from Louisiana. And Lord. so I've always had the combination accent. It's the country, um, so it, it's city slang. <laughs> wow. I heard it. I heard it when you first came on. I was like, oh, yeah, she, she's from the funny. East Coast for sure. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, yeah, so also I noticed on your, your resume that you've worked with a bunch of kind of youth-based organizations in a mentorship role. Um, so I wanted to know what drives you to work with youth and what, what inspires you about that? So uh, I'm going to start this off with a semi-sad story and then I promise I'll round it out to, <laughs> to make it not so uh, devastating. But, yes, um, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm never going to leave it on a sad note. Um, so I'm from a, a, a very disenfranchised area. Um, an area where the police officers sit in their cars right on your street waiting for you to do something crazy. Um, so my neighborhood, actually my neighborhood has been totally gentrified at this point and, and they knocked all the houses down and put $400,000 homes. So it's not even the same place. But my mom would often sign us up for mentors. She had three children. Um, I have a brother who's 13 years older than me, one who is five, year, five years older than me and um <clears throat> excuse me and then me so i'm the only girl much younger than my my siblings so at each point she'd sign my brothers up for a mentoring program and this particular program is a little different than some others in that they automatically have clearance to come to the house and 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 have more of a hands-on experience as opposed to how we do things now where you have to work your way up to almost having private time with the child so she said, um, I remember when she was getting ready to sign me up, she said, well, I'm, I'm scared to do this. Don't get your hopes up. None of the people have ever showed up. Signed my brothers up. The mentor never came. Called the agency. What's going on? You said you was going to send somebody. They try again. The mentor doesn't come. The mentor doesn't come. So she was really scared. And she's like, but she really needs a mentor. There's a number of boys in this house. And, I, you know, I need somebody to help her. So she signed me up. Mentor doesn't come. So she calls and she says, okay, how about if I bring her to the library? Will you meet her at the library? You know, like not, not in the neighborhood, it's outside of the neighborhood, will you meet her there? And they're like, oh my gosh, so sorry the mentor didn't come. Yes, we'll meet her at the library. Go to the library, sit there two hours, mentor never comes. And she's like, that's it, forget it, no mentor. And so I'm, I don't remember how old I was, I might've been 10. And it was like, yeah, you're not getting a mentor, don't worry about it. And there's no other programs, nobody's coming to this community. They don't want to come and, and help the children here, but they're signing up to be mentors. So I think at that point, being so scarred by that himself, my oldest brother really took on that role for me. And at that time, he was late to go into college. So he, um, he had started attending college the year before. And what he would do, he has a son who is seven years younger than me, who my mother was raising because he was in college. So what he would do on the weekends is come pick up his son and take me to. And it, you know, not something that he needed to do at all. He had a two-year-old, you know, so it was like my two-year-old and my nine-year-old sister have to come with me every weekend 
and we're going to the museum and I'm telling him I want to be a writer. So he's introducing me to people, his classmates who are in mass comm. Um, at that time, um, I don't know if you all are familiar with the, he does documentaries and actually worked on the, one of the recent hip hop documentaries, but Eric Parker um, is from my, from my hometown and very good friends with my brother. So it was Eric, tell her about writing and, and journalism. And I think Eric was working as an editor for Vibe at that time. So that was like a huge deal for me to meet somebody working for that type of publication. But I was a, a lot of times on, on a college campus learning about writing and learning about art and music and history because my brother was left out in the cold the way I was with a mentor. So I, I think that, you know, that's, that's who my mentor was. My big brother really looked out for me um, and, and did not, I mean, really didn't have to. I know I was annoying to him. Nobody wants their little sister around. <laughs> I didn't have a choice. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. And I think he didn't have a choice when we were younger. And, and it was funny to me because my mom would take your sister with you, take your sister with you. And then when he did have a choice, he was like, I have to take my sister with me. Yeah. So it's really commendable that I knew that he never wanted to. And then it was like, but I have to now. Yeah. Put a little stress on my social life and my <laughs> young years. I, 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 I know I did. My brother's 13 years older than me. I know I put some oh, stress on that. <laughs> yeah, that, that was different. Lord have mercy. Go ahead, Maggie. Um, I mean, so it sounds like your the mentorship that you got from your brother has inspired you to step into mentorship roles yourself. Absolutely. Um, I think I think it was the the mentor didn't show up. That that was just, I mean. My God, it was just kind of the thing of saying, okay, well, you know what? I, I'm going to show up in any way that I'm able to. Now, I'm not able to do a lot. I do have, I do have an illness that makes me incredibly tired. And so I can't, I don't, I, I think I'll say in that regard, I try not to overcommit because I know that I might not show up. And then I'm like, you know, it's not that. But any child hearing an excuse is an excuse to them, regardless if it's a true story. And so for me, it's, it's more... How can I share experiences with you? What story can I tell you that might help you? And, and, and as a writer, storytelling is really my thing. So, so the, the, the youth that cling to me who are, gosh, oh my God, like 30 now, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm 37 and I've always told them I'm not that much older than you. And now we're like in the same decade together. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, <laughs> so they know that I give them no bars. You ask me something, I'm going to tell you. And especially now that they're in their 30s, I'm going to tell you explicitly what you ask me. Um, you know, I could sugarcoat it a little bit more when y'all were 15, but um, that's, my, that's my form of mentoring. I may not be able to take you to the park or, or skating rink. You know, we may do that once in a blue moon, but you can call me and ask me a question. And I will talk to you as much as you need to be talked to. I will edit your resume. I will, I will do whatever I can do to help you in a capacity that's, that's, that I'm, I'm able-bodied enough to do, really. That kind of showing up. Yeah. Yeah, and that is so important because that's definitely true what you said. Like, even if your excuse is legitimate, kids will remember that and be like, but was that really true? Did they not want to hang out with me? Did they not want to talk to me? So I think that's really important what you said about not overcommitting, making sure you can fulfill the commitments that you make to these kids or these young people. Um, I mean, adults have the same problem. If somebody doesn't show up for you, you're all, oh my God, am I enough? You know, you yeah. just have to pick yourself. Yeah, for sure. Um, how, how do you get, in, get connected with these young people that you're mentoring? 
Well, early on, it was um, when I when I first moved to Baton Rouge, and um, I moved to Baton Rouge one month before Hurricane Katrina. And I wasn't trying to be in Baton Rouge. Let's be clear on that. I was headed back to New Orleans. I had a job ready to hire me, but it was a civil service job. And that test is so hard. I had failed it about three times. <laughs> and the position was, was they, they wanted me. They're like, we're, we're going to wait for you to pass this test. So keep taking the test. So it was a matter of we're holding the job for you pass the test. So I think at that time I had failed three times, was still in the process of trying to move back to New Orleans. Storm hits. Um, the woman over the position says, well, we don't know what's the fate of our organization right now. So let's hold off. We'll get back with you. Obviously, the storm hits, the place closes, everything's in a disarray. I can't get back to New Orleans. I'm incredibly stressed out and depressed, and I don't want to be here. I miss my friends. I, I mean, I just graduated college. Everything's gone. And Baton Rouge became a, a huge place for displaced people who were coming from New Orleans because it's only an hour away. So they opened a trailer park for the FEMA, um, and they weren't even trailers. They were... Um, what do they call them? The campers. Yeah. So they were campers and it was a trailer park full of campers. And the Girl Scouts had put out a call saying, listen, you don't got to be a Girl Scout. You don't got to be a troop leader or anything. We are looking for somebody who wants to work with these teenage girls here because this is a really traumatic time. And I'm like, oh, well, cool. I'm, I'm going through a traumatic time too. Maybe we can work, you know, this will make me feel like, you know, I have something going on and I can help them through something. And Girl Scouts were like, but here's the thing. We don't usually deal with girls this age. And so we have like flip-flop making and arts and crafts <laughs> and things like that. And I'm like, oh, great. Things they have absolutely no interest in. Okay. Um, <laughs> So it was, it was really, really, really exciting to get out there and try to figure out how to make flip-flop making. And of course, these are like size four flip-flops, so it wasn't even stuff they could wear themselves. Um, fun and exciting for them and ended up being like story circles and, and just sharing experiences and more the way that I've learned to mentor. So I got thrusted into it with that. And then I went over to an organization we had here and started working with them and, and eventually got hired with them as a mentor coordinator, which was me training people to be mentors. Okay. That sounds like a lot. Uh, considering <laughs> the fact that you have all these, you know, balls you're juggling in your court right now, how is that, how now during this pandemic will Creative make an impact? Especially That's, now. Uh, yeah, that's been very interesting. We um we have an Instagram page that's that's um that's pretty popular. And one of the things that's incredibly important, first of all, we did a mask campaign. We called it Mask Crusaders in the fight against COVID nineteen, um, because we directly benefit greatly when somebody wears a mask. Um, because we we're already ill, and and this could kill us. I mean, you're talking about just even diabetes, which is an invisible illness you're more likely to kill somebody with diabetes than you are somebody with lupus, honestly, with, with COVID-19. And so we, we ran that, that campaign as a social media campaign. But um, really growing the social, the social media aspect of it, um, I had hoped to have some dialogues via Zoom. We, we've been able to have some really great in-person dialogues about illness, um, but my community is primarily ill. And because of that, we're ill, we're stressed out, we're adapting to a new normal. So it's been hard to call on that community to do the dialogues. 
Um, so what's become incredibly important is to continue to push the content on social media and to pay attention to the inbox. Um, it's, a, it's an incredible, incredible responsibility. I myself have a therapist who's been very helpful in giving me resources to give to my community because on any occasion I may get a message on there, I feel like I am too tired to continue. Thank you for this post or I just need somebody to talk to me right now. And I have this set of resources that my therapist has given me to say, oh my goodness, I'm so glad that we were able to help you with that. Here's some resources because I'm not a therapist, um, but thank you for staying here with us. Um, so so that's, been, that's been the biggest impact that we've had to have. And it's been a lot. Um, it has definitely been a lot for me adapting to my job now being in a, a virtual capacity, but it's, it's, so 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 important to me to continue to be in community with with folks that are interested in the project that's great that's great i also have another there's another project you were working on i'm wondering if you're still a part of it uh, a round of applause aurora so aurora is um I, I was on their board of directors and they had to pause that because of funding but it was hmm. really incredibly interesting um the woman who runs it um her name is elizabeth uh, Elizabeth had no had no experience in media. She just knew that that she had students she was working with in an after school program who wanted to tell their stories. And she said, "Look, I'm gonna learn how to design. I will learn how to. I will learn everything to help you tell your stories." And so for her, it was just really important to have some media people on her board. But when I tell you she didn't need us, that woman she is so committed to those students. She learned how to lay out a magazine. Right. That is not easy. And her magazine is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I was in Media Academy, so I understand what it takes to come up with a magazine. And but you know, for a lot of kids that I work with, they're they're writers. You know, yeah. and with these iPhones and these cameras, they actually become photographers. You know, when I've had conversations when we were on campus, I would say, you know, oh, I like doing I like doing pictures, coach. I'm like, well, you got your phone. That's the right. story right there. Right. Well, you know, they have more pixels than some other cameras, too. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, you know. So yeah. that, that program right there kind of caught my eye when I was going through. You know, I, I, you know. I love I the work that she was doing, and hopefully she'll be able to get back going um, once once more funding becomes available. Right. Well, uh, when I see she puts out a beautiful product, a lot of funding is necessary for it. Um, but I do love that, um, that it has enhanced the mobile journalism because that goes back to that community news feature we talked about right. and how important it is to have that person telling that story. Um, someone I went to school with actually started a program called Mojo that teaches, teaches that type of journalism to, um, to college students right now. She's, uh, she's a professor at USC now. Okay. And that's her thing. She put out a book called Bearing Witness While Black. And that's really what it's all about is how she created that program. Wow! Thank Y'all got to talk to her. I will. I will pass on her her information. If she that would be awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> like, we like, always tap it in. <laughs> That'd be great. We'd love to have her because we're always tapping in, looking for better resources, looking for more resources. Because right now, our hands in Oakland are kind of tight. You know, they, they're being tight about everything. Like right now, whether Oakland knows it or not, we low and two pair definitely sorely needed right now for emotional and you know for just emotional help and even the work with school. So yeah, I thank you for that. Uh, go ahead, Maggie. Yeah, so I mean, going off what Tony just said, um, mentorship organizations like Wheelow and Tupe are so important right now because everyone in the world, but everyone in this country, everyone in this community is going through a super traumatic time. 
Um, and you mentioned right when Hurricane Katrina was happening, you were trying to get a job in New Orleans, but that was like kind of cut off, right? Like really suddenly. And then there was a big storm, obviously really, really destructive um, to the entire city. Um, city's kind of still reeling from that, even though that was however many years ago, so many yeah. now, it's crazy. Almost, um, almost exactly 15 on the 29th. It'll be 15 years. Yeah, see that, that's crazy. I was in high school when that happened. So I feel like, like I remembered vividly when that was happening, even though I was here in California, but it's just to see images and to hear about things that are still going on in that community because of the hurricane and lack of response is just, I mean, staggering, honestly. Mm. So, um, but I mean, what you did during that time, like going to those, those, um, those camps with the, the campers and the, the young people staying there and kind of taking on that mentorship role. Um, do you, when you were talking about that, it kind of reminded me of what's going on now with young people, especially like kids in school who are kind of getting whiplash probably from all the news, like, oh, schools are going back in session. Just kidding. No, they're not. Everything's going to be remote. Oh, maybe it'll be a hybrid model. Just like things like that. Um, do you see any parallels in how youth are reacting to this situation and how the youth that you were working with reacted to Hurricane Katrina? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the signs, it, well, first of all, let me say this, and, and, and I'm very, very public about going to therapy. Um, I, I am doing trauma work in therapy right now, which is really incredibly frustrating during a pandemic because trauma work causes flashbacks. Um, but I am, I'm working through, my mom died my first semester of college. And so I'm just now making the time to work through this grieving. And, and so at this point it's called compressed grief. And as I'm working through this, I'm learning some of the things that I did as a young person before, before the frontal lobe was fully developed, which we know that's 25. So my mom dying when I'm 18 and I think I'm grown and I have, <laughs> I'm not fully developed. And so I'm, I'm thinking back and these flashbacks that I'm having are reminding me of reactions I had to these traumatic situations. And I'm watching our young people do these same things and because i am one doing trauma work and two having experienced it myself at a similar age i'm seeing that and 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 in whatever way is possible if i'm seeing any of my facebook friends talk about their children experiencing x y and z i'm not a therapist i just want to tell you that this is them experiencing trauma anxiety this is ptsd this is whatever and i can't diagnose you but i'm saying this is what it looked like and so you may want to consider paying attention, very close attention to what your child is going through. And, and, and it's just something, that, a little something, right? My, my, my babies are 30 now. Um, some of them have, have kindergartners. Not my children, no, don't look at me. Oh, like, I, was, I was like, oh. Uh, my babies are cats. I have yeah, two cats. I, was say, I'm the, I know I'm the oldest here. <laughs> I mean, my, my mentees. Um, okay, thank they'll, you. They'll always be my babies, but they're 30 now. Um, right. <laughs> so some of them even, have young children in school and, right. and may, you know, whatever. Uh, I, I am available to them in all capacities, even to talk to their children. If it's something you think I can talk to them about or help them through, but I think it is just a matter of really, really, really paying attention. There's a, a meme going on right now that says, you notice those babies' stomachs haven't hurt at all since the pandemic, right? Well, we know the stomach pain is anxiety. So some of our children are actually even more comfortable than they were when they were going to school. So that's something to pay attention to. What's going on at school that you, your tummy doesn't hurt right now? And you're right. Virtual. <laughs> you 
Right, right. So just kind of really paying attention to the signs. And, and like I said, my, my, uh, my mentees are grown. So if I can help them pay attention to their, their children, definitely. Mm -hmm. For the mentors out there, this, this goes for all mentors. What people don't realize is men, as mentors, we take on a lot of emotional baggage from people, you know. And the one thing I'm learning now, and I'm just starting to learn it, is how to try to separate myself emotionally from it. Because I, I come home, I used to come home from school some days dealing with the kids and be stressed out, and, you know, and wouldn't even know how to handle it because of the stories I heard from their home lives and their situations. And I think about what I've done for my kids and how my kids don't go through, you know, 90% of some of the students that I deal with, what they go through and what you should be grateful for, you know? Even though they're kids, ungratefulness is just a main thing. Being a mentor is hard as well. And I wish there was programs out there for us, you know? I, I'm sure there is, and I'm sure I'll be tapping into them this year. But, um, our mental state, you know, is always at stake when we're dealing in these positions. Oh, absolutely. Self-care is incredibly important. I think that to, to, to the order that what you just said, um, and as I'm talking about these 30-year-olds who still call me, I think we also need to take into consideration if you're planning to become a mentor, you don't throw the child out when they grow into an adult. If they choose to still need you when they are an adult, you still handle them the same way you did when they were teenagers. We know how we need to be talked to as adults. We know what we need. We know we need support. We need mentors. I'm grateful none of mine have kicked me to the curb. So these these grown 30-year-olds can call me to their 60. If I'm still here, I'm going to talk to them. Right, right. Like, I'm with Dwayne, like, you know, Dwayne being, you know, the founder of the organization that I'm with, he's the one I actually lean on. It's him or, him or my other brothers because – you need somebody to lean on, you know, and not a lot of people are open to even hear any problems that you have. So mentorship is just, they say, oh, you're just a mentor at the school. No, I'm not just a mentor, brother. You know what I mean? Like I am, I'm the heartbeat of what's happening around here. I'm in the face of everything. I'm in the face of every problem. Every face you turn your, your head away from, I'm walking right into it. You know, and I've noticed that since I started this job, we get the hard cases and the cases where, a lot of teachers or staff don't want to deal with them at all. All right, you take them. So, and I, I had to make sure that these teachers and staff knew I'm not a babysitter. No, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I have kids at home that I have to take care of. While I'm here, I'm here to help them and mentor them and try to show them a different route than what I was learned and what I learned and what my people learned. So, yeah, this mentorship job, is this is not a joke. And, you know, I shout out to all mentors while we're on this podcast that, you have my heart and, and my love because this is a this is a dangerous job. People don't realize that. <laughs> I've been into some dangerous situations on these campuses, you know, over the last few years. You know, I don't want to speak on them, but it was serious. And this is hard. This is hard work. So I applaud all mentors across the country, especially someone like you that's in a position that can help with, you know, PR consulting and, and situations where kids can use that to make money as they get older. So you're definitely sorely needed. And if they can make a hundred of you, we can place you all over the country. <laughs> I'm gonna let Maggie go ahead and ask you a couple more questions. If you have a Maggie, go for it, sweetheart. Yeah. Um, well, I just want to echo what Tony said. I mean, this has been a really, really interesting and important conversation. I want to thank you for your emotional vulnerability during this conversation. It's just, it's really great to see and to have these kind of talks with people. Oh, no, thank you so much. I, as I said, I, I, I that's how I lead with, um, 
story sharing is incredibly important to me. If my story helps anybody, I will tell it. No matter how embarrassing it may be to me, I will tell it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like Tony said, we need more people like you. <laughs> um, yeah, so thank you so much for coming on. Um, I don't have any more questions. Is there anything that you want to promote while you're on the show? Um, no, I don't have anything to promote. It's, you know, the pandemic. I'm going to promote it for you. She represents, this is Miss Leslie D. Rose. She is the founder of Creative. You know, go get with her. She's a consultant out there. She's working at Baton Rouge Community College. She's busy doing everything virtually, but definitely a person you might want to need to get in contact with. You know, if you follow us, you can go to Spotify and find her. You can catch us on our band as well. And uh, we're on Anchor. And what else we got? We're on YouTube. We're getting around there. School is back in, so we're going to start placing this show for students to hear. So we're definitely going to get what you had to say out to some heirs that need this. Awesome. So, I was just going to say to follow um, follow a picture of health on Instagram. I was thinking event-wise, like, I don't have anything going on, but please follow the picture of health on Instagram. It's at P-I-C-O-F-H-E-A-L-T-H-B-R, as in Baton Rouge, so at pick of health B-R on Instagram. And also, right. you can use that same thing to find us on Facebook. You heard it here. Pick of health B-R on Instagram. And then you can actually catch her to it, Leslie Rose, on IG, because I just followed you, so go on and... Go on and, and Leslie D. Rose. Yeah, Leslie D. Rose, and go ahead and... Uh, Yay, uh, I'm very discerning, yeah, so you can choose to follow me, but I may choose not to accept, but I'm going to go ahead and let you in. <laughs> okay, you're on, your, you're on your New Jersey today, I see it. <laughs> anyway, thank you again, Miss Leslie D. Rose, for taking the time out to be with us. We are very appreciative, and uh, you know we wish you the best with Creative. I'm glad your husband came up with the name because husbands matter. Okay, <laughs> everybody needs to know this thing. Yeah, <laughs> as far as it was in here. But like again, my name is Tony. I'm here with the compliments, Maggie B. We thank you all for listening to We the Scenario. We do this each week. Catch us again next week. We're on our way out of here. You guys have a good one. God bless. <laughs>